Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at 5th Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. Scripture portion is taken from John chapter 3 verses 1 to 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And as you're seated again, let me welcome you. Uh, my name is Brant, the pastor of the church here at Christ City in Kitsilano. And it's my joy to, to welcome you together now to our time where we look at this incredible passage of scripture. Uh, but before we jump into it, I want to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to pray together and ask for God's blessing and his help. Uh, God, we come to you this morning and we come and we cry out for your help. Lord, for your work, for your power, and for your life. Uh, God, we read this passage and we learn that, that you are the God who sends your spirit and brings life like the wind flows through and brings life to all that is. 
Lord, you have created this world by your spirit and brought life. Lord, you have sent your spirit through Jesus Christ. You are bringing life. Lord, you have given us your word, and by your word, you apply your spirit to our lives, and you bring life. And so we ask, would you work powerfully this morning by your spirit to bring life? Would you open our hearts? Lord, would you open our lives? Would you cause us to confess our sin, to obey, and to serve you as you deserve? For you, the great God, have come to us as our Savior. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2,000 years ago, the infinite God, the creator of the universe, became the created. He entered into his creation as our Savior. An Advent season, the first four weeks prior to Christmas Day, are the season that the church historically has celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior who has come for us and for our salvation. And for 2,000 years, you've, you've seen hints of Christmas. You've seen lots of evidence of this worship of Jesus being born as a human being. Humanity has been full of wonder and awe that, that God, so infinite and high in his glory and his majesty, would be emptied of his glory, would be made weak to become our Savior. And the wonder of our worship and our awe at this miracle that God has done to bring us life, I mean, it's all over the place in our songs, in our art, in the stories that we tell, in the plays that you've seen probably, in movies, even in the mall. You walk around in our secular malls today, places where the worship of God is absent, and you hear songs about Jesus being born in a manger. And yet even 2,000 years of songs and poetry and paintings and art and books have all been insufficient to capture the wonder of God's love that led him to be born. That led him to be born so that we could be born again. See, we're in our second week of our Advent series here at Christ City. And like I said last week, we're going through the gospel of John in some key passages as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus born in the manger and as we look forward to and as we long for his second coming when all will be made well at his return. And this morning we're looking at John chapter 3. This is an interesting passage. We just read it. It's not a passage of scripture about Jesus' birth, but it is a passage of scripture about the new birth. It's a discussion where Nicodemus talks to Jesus about what it means to be born again. And like last week, this text, it doesn't have angels, doesn't have wise men, doesn't have a manger or shepherds coming and worshiping. Instead, it wrestles to understand this miracle. The miracle that because of his great love for us, God was born so we could be born again. God was born so we could be born again from a life of death and suffering and sin into life eternal with God on high. So we're going to unpack Jesus' teaching then this morning from this passage about being born again. I'm going to look at it in three points. Three points that I'll share with you this way and then I'll give you a summary. Three points. One, that we must be born again because life and death don't mix. Two, we must be born again because our death must be exchanged for Jesus' life. 
3, we must be born again to have eternal and unstoppable life in God's presence. So three points all about being born again. If you want to just take notes and, and summarize them, you can have point one, born again. Point two, exchange. And point three, eternal life. So we're going to look at our points together, starting at the first one, because that's where you start when you do points. At point one, right? Good, you're all awake. It's testing you. Look at first point, uh, born again in verses one to two. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, it's just the Jewish way of talking to, to a teacher. A rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So who's Nicodemus and why is he coming to Jesus? Well, Nicodemus, the story tells us, was a Jewish ruler and, and we find out a little bit later that he was a Pharisee. He was a religious teacher, that means. He, he knew the Bible really well. He studied the Bible as a part of his job, and he taught the Bible. But he was also a ruler. He was probably one of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70 Jewish men that were appointed as judges over the Jewish matters of life and of faith in Israel. And like so many people at the time, he's intrigued by all that he's seen and all that he's heard about Jesus. Who is this man? But because Nicodemus was a very important figure, because Jesus was a very controversial person, Nicodemus is really careful. He doesn't want to go to Jesus publicly. He goes to Jesus at nighttime and in secret. And he arrives and he starts talking to Jesus, just gets the conversation rolling. We know that you're a teacher come from God, Jesus. And then Jesus cuts to the chase in verse 3. Jesus answers and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What an answer. Nicodemus is trying to get to know this man. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cuts the chase. And Nicodemus has never heard anything like this. What is he talking about? He's confused. In verse 4, he says, How can a man be born when he is old, Jesus? I mean, I know you're a teacher, but come on. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answers him in verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is a very important verse, Christ City, for Christmas. It's a very important verse for Christmas. Because wrapped inside this mysterious dilemma, for needing to be born again of water and the spirit to enter the kingdom of God, Inside this mysterious dilemma lies the heart of Christmas. Because Jesus Christ was born so we could be born again. So we could enter God's kingdom. Jesus came so that this mysterious thing, this being born of water and the spirit could become true for you and for me. 
so we can enter God's kingdom. So I want to unpack this. There's a lot here. I know you don't get it. That's okay. We're going to start looking at it piece by piece. And we'll start first with this idea called the kingdom of God. I mean, sounds pretty good. I think I want to be there. But I don't even know what it is. What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is one of the ways of talking about what Jesus came to earth to do. John chapter 1, verse 2, it speaks about Jesus, and it says that in Jesus was life. That that life was the light of man. The idea of Jesus coming and beginning a kingdom is that Jesus came into this world for a purpose. He came to, to peel back darkness, to peel back death, to peel back sin and unrighteousness. All the things that lead to the heartache and the sorrow that I know that you experience in this world. Jesus came to pull that back and to put something new in its place. To replace it with light, with righteousness, and with life. And all of that happens in Jesus' kingdom. So I want to have you do something for me this morning. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about this world just for a minute. And think about all the things that you know to have gone so badly wrong in this world. Think of all the conflicts, all the suffering. I want you now to, to turn and think about your life. Think about the suffering and the troubles that maybe you're currently facing. The difficulties and the struggles. So the kingdom of God is the good rule of Jesus in life over all of those things. It's when his life and his power are at work to change all that is broken and make everything right. And Jesus says, you can't be part of this kingdom. You can't be part of his kingdom unless you are born again. You can't. He says, In verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You can't enter the kingdom unless you're born again. And then Jesus gives this, is this an explanation? I don't think this is an explanation. It's too confusing to be an explanation. Does Jesus only speak in riddles? You're you're looking at this like, what is he talking about? Jesus, I I don't get it. Born again to enter your kingdom, born of water and the spirit, Flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. What's going on here? Well, let me keep explaining. We'll keep diving further and further into the dark until it becomes clear. We can start to understand what Jesus is getting at if we grasp a couple of key biblical ideas. So let me unpack them for you. First of all, you need to know something as we study this passage. And that's this. In the Bible, God is life. The Bible's understanding God is life. If you imagine all that is and where life comes from, the Bible's understanding, what the Bible teaches is that the only reason any life at all happens anywhere in the created universe is because God has created it and God is actively sustaining it. God is life and apart from him, there is no life at all. So where God is, there is. Where God isn't, there is 
there is death. Life and death. Life in God's presence, death away from God's presence. And here's the next piece you need to know. When Jesus says the flesh, flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. He says the flesh, he's not just talking about this stuff, right? We know what our flesh is. He's not just talking about the things or the stuff that we're, we're made out of. When we hear the word flesh, we're meant to understand Jesus means sinful flesh. Jesus means separated from God flesh. Jesus means on a path toward death, away from God flesh. If life is over there in the presence of God, flesh in its sin is separated from God and going further and further away from We know this to be true even in the biblical story and we can think about it in this world because the biblical story begins in the presence of God, Adam and Eve. And as Adam and Eve, they rebel against God, what happens? The separation begins. Separation is created between God who is life and humanity living away from God in death. And if, you read, if you've read the first book of the Bible, you watch death exponentially increase following the separation from God. As humankind descends in the spiral of death and sin and destruction that leads all the way still to today, away from God. So that's flesh. Spirit, on the other hand, is Jesus' way of talking about life. About God's power of life. About his life-giving, sustaining power. So when Jesus says in verse 6 that what is of flesh is flesh and what is of spirit is spirit, he's saying like oil and water can't mix. The sinful fleshy stuff of death and decay, it can't belong in Jesus' kingdom. It can't. Death is here or life is here. And I said death, right? Death is here and life is here. Try to keep the sides mixed up. Try not to try to keep them unmixed. Like oil and water, they can't mix, right? Life is here, death is here. They can't mix. (laughs) And you can't get in if you are in flesh and you are in sin, separated from God in death. Because we just don't belong as those who are full of sin and death in Jesus' kingdom of life and the presence of his Holy Spirit. So look again at verses 5 and 6. Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So just to be clear, Jesus is not saying flesh is physical and spirit's like a ghost. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. He's saying that human beings by our natural birth as human beings separated from God, living in our sin, we're separated from life in relationship with God. It's like we've taken the wrong fork in the road and the destination's over here, but the road's going this way. And the longer we live on this path of death, the further we get away from God, going towards death. And the only way to correct our destruction and our walk into death is to be transported into a different humanity, to be launched into a different pathway, 
one of life on this, that we got to move, we got to be moved from, from here all the way over here into the life of God. A life that can only be described in the words of Jesus as being born again. Being made new by the power of God's water and his spirit. See, in the Bible, God's water and his spirit are associated with life again and again and again. Already in creation, it was a spirit hovering over the waters that breathed creation to existence. As God spoke his words, the spirit created. It was there in the Garden of Eden where the rivers, the four rivers, flowed out and watered the world and brought life from the presence of God. And actually, even after all this sin and death and decay, the Bible, in the prophetic literature, which comes just before the Gospel of John, God promised that one day he would renew the world and revive a dead humanity through water and by his spirit. He promised that a new birth was coming. There's so many examples that I could point to today. I didn't want to make it an infinitely long sermon. So I'm just going to summarize a couple of them for you because all these promises are already there in the scriptures that a time is coming when things will be made alive by water and spirit like Jesus is talking about. Ezekiel 36 and 37 is a really famous one. It's this time when there's a prophetic vision, when Ezekiel sees a valley and it's full of skeletons. They're just dead. It's humanity in our sin and our death away from God. And God says to, uh, to Ezekiel, prophesy, prophesy to the wind, the spirit to come on these bones. And the spirit comes upon the bones and God brings life. The skeletons rise up and flesh comes onto the bones. He's talking about what's going to happen one day when the Messiah comes. In Ezekiel 47, there's another beautiful prophecy. And this one has a different image. It's this image of, of God seated on his throne in his kingdom. And from underneath his throne, a river starts to flow. Water. And that water starts to go out into all the arid and desolate and dead places in this world. And it goes over it goes into valleys and over mountains and down into valleys until it gets into the Dead Sea. You guys know what the Dead Sea is? Right, that salty place. People send the pictures where you know Israel, where they're like floating in the water, with you know they can't even sink properly because it's so salty and so dead. This water flows into the Dead Sea and refreshes it and purifies it until the Dead Sea and that region becomes a beautiful, abundant garden because of the miracle of God's life. Now, Isaiah 32, there's another promise. It's this time of the righteous king, the Messiah, when he's enthroned in his righteousness. And what does he do? He pours out his spirit and describes the spirit coming like rain, like a downfall, downpour falling onto the creation that brings life to the world, that brings renewal to human beings. Or Joel chapter 2, which talks of this time when the spirit will be poured out on God's people bringing life, restoring these people that have been separated from God in death and drawing them back and uniting them intimately in life with God by the power of his spirit. These prophecies, Christ City, are all over the Bible. And yet, even after all that Jesus has said, Nicodemus responds in verse 9, Huh? <laughs> like, Jesus, can you be a little more plain? <laughs> I still don't get it. He says in verse 9, how can these things be? I don't understand. It's all a mystery to him. 
And Jesus rebukes him. He rebukes him because it shouldn't have been a mystery to Nicodemus. He says, are you the teacher of Israel in verse 10? And yet you do not understand these things. Jesus calls him out. He says, Nicodemus, you're a Pharisee. That means you love the Bible. You study the Bible backwards and forwards. Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't get this? Because I'm talking about what's already all over the pages of Scripture. You should know from the Bible, Nicodemus, that God's plan was always to save his people by birthing again dead human flesh through the life of the Holy Spirit so that we can enter his kingdom. You should have known that, Nicodemus. It's in the Bible. But he didn't understand. And he didn't yet understand that that Jesus was the one who would bring that life. That Jesus was the Messiah of God. That Jesus would bring this life by exchanging his death for our death. By exchanging his life for our life. Look at our second point then. And the exchange, or what theologians even call the great exchange, in verses 12 to 15. Jesus says, Nick, 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 Nick. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Stop for a minute. Notice the word that Jesus said. He didn't say, if you don't understand. Do you see that? He said, if you don't believe. It's a fundamental truth in the Gospel of John. One that's in our text, but I'm not going to talk about it very much, so listen in now. And that's that we all have an opportunity to believe. To believe the promise of what Jesus came to do. It's not just a matter of understanding. It's a matter of, of do we believe that it's true? Will we receive it and receive the life that Jesus came to bring us. If I have told you these things, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In verse 13, 13, he continues, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. More riddles. (laughs) The Son of Man. What is he talking about? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus, he says to Nicodemus, he says, no one, he says, no human being has ascended into heaven. None. Except one. Except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. See, Jesus, in the Gospels, he loves to call himself the son of man. And it's a title that's got a bit of a riddle to it, and it's a really important one. Um, He loves it, I think, because on the one hand, it's true. Jesus is a son of a human being, right? He was, he's both God, but he was born of Mary. So he is a human son, not of Joseph, but of, of God, by the Holy Spirit and of Mary, his mother. So on the one hand, it's true. He's a son of man. But also, Jesus loves this title because it's a veiled reference. Not so veiled, actually. It is a reference to a book of the Bible called Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. And there the son of man is this confusing figure 
who ascends into God's presence in glory as a human being. This figure who receives the dominion that human beings were created for. And finally, it's restored and given to this man, the son of man. But it's a confusing picture. And for a long time, the Jewish people even puzzled over it because you're never quite sure as you look at the story of this son of man ascending into heaven. Is he man? Or is he also God? And there's this this merger of of humanity with divinity, and you're not really sure what's going on. But our confusion is resolved, Christ City, when Jesus is born, when God became human, when the God-man was born. And Jesus is the Son of Man. He came as the one who's descended from God, who's born a Son of Man, but born for a purpose. Born to ascend into heaven, back to God, bringing humanity with him. Forever uniting human beings to God. So think about Jesus. I think we talked about this last week, but we're going to say it again. When you think of Jesus in heaven, you need to think of a resurrected human being in perfect union with God. Your Savior is a human being who is also God, who is in heaven with God. That's who he is. And because the son of man descended, he has ascended, bringing us with him back into heaven so that we can have life. How can we have life through this thing that he's done as a son of man? Because he came to exchange his death for our death. And he came to exchange his life for our life. Jesus begins to unpack this a little bit for Nicodemus by talking about another passage from the Old Testament. Just notice how many passages Jesus keeps referencing elsewhere in the Bible. This is a passage rich with allusions and full of references to other parts of the Bible. It's a good reason to keep studying the Bible. And there he talks about the book of Numbers, references the book of Numbers. And Jesus says this, his as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what Jesus is talking about here is a particular story in the book of Numbers, the very uh, first part of the Bible. In Numbers 21, what had happened was that God had rescued his people from Egypt and uh, now he had punished his people during one of their bitter periods of complaining and rebelling against him by sending serpents into their midst. And many people were bitten by these poisonous snakes. But even in this passage, even God's judgment is full of mercy because God's judgment is never without mercy. And God instructed Moses, the prophet in the wilderness, to make a bronze serpent. The same bronze serpent on a pole, by the way, that is our paramedic symbol today. Do you guys know the paramedic symbol? Right? Oh, there we are. Thank you, Kim. And, uh, and, and, here we have, uh, <laughs> and here we have the story where that came from. I've lost my place. So God instructs Moses to, to make this bronze serpent and to lift it high on the pole so that whoever's bitten by the snakes can look up at the bronze serpent and be saved. God still in his mercy is drawing even these sinful people full of the poison of serpents to be saved. And the connection that Jesus is making with himself is that like the snake was lifted up to save the poison people in the book of Numbers, 
Jesus must be lifted up to save a poisoned humanity. Poisoned humanity, not from snakes, but from sin and death. My kids and I, we've been watching all these YouTube videos because they love them of people who let poisonous animals bite them. There are such things, and they're pretty kid-friendly, but they're super scary. And, uh, and so we've been getting really good at, at learning all about the different things to like extract venom after you've been bitten, uh, or anti-venom that must be given so as not to die once you've been bitten. <laughs> they're pretty crazy videos. He was like, this, this is going to really hurt. Oh, I'm so scared. Oh, here's the tarantula. You know? <laughs> and then gets it bit in his hand. It's crazy. Um, the kids love it. Clearly, I don't. So we've been learning all about this, but, but the connection here is just so interesting because this passage is kind of saying is that for us in our sin, Jesus came as the anti-venom. Jesus came as the one to save us from our sin by taking the poison out of us and taking it upon himself. See, to save us from death, all the putrid poison of our sin had to be taken off of our humanity, separated from God in death, and poured out upon Jesus. So on the cross, when, when Jesus is lifted up to die, all our hate, all our envy, all the things that our hate and envy lead us to, all our lust and our bitterness, our greed, Every sin, every one of your sins, if you trust in him, is placed upon Jesus. And Jesus stands in your place and and he receives then the just penalty for our sin upon himself. He gets our death. How we've been separated from God in our sin, that's all put on Jesus as he is killed on the cross, so that God the judge could become the judged, so that our sin could be purged and destroyed through his death. And that's what happened. After he was born, he grew, and he went to the cross. He was lifted up, not on a pole, but on a cross. He's our substitute who takes our sin and our death. And he did it so he could exchange his life and give it for us. You see, he died in our place, Christ City, on that cross. Our death became his death. But three days later, Jesus Christ was resurrected from death. And 40 days after that, he ascended into heaven at the right hand of God. And from heaven, you know what Jesus did? We read about it in Acts chapter 2. He poured out his Holy Spirit in fulfillment of all the prophecies that we've been talking about on his church. As we human beings are filled with God. Filled with the Holy Spirit of God forever united to him. So we can be born again as a new humanity in the power of life by his Holy Spirit. 
I just want to read you a short passage, Romans 8, verses 3 to 4. And it talks about this. And there Paul reads, Paul writes, he says, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. All right, that's, that's Jesus. Picture him. And yet he's condemned sin in the flesh. Think about Jesus on the cross being condemned. Sin in the human flesh being destroyed. Why? Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That we could be made new and so we could live in what is righteous and good and beautiful and true. Not by walking according to the flesh, obeying our sinful impulses, but by walking and living by something new. A new empowering force. The power and the presence of God's spirit of life. Bringing life. And that's what it means to be born again. To have the life of God exchanged for our death. To be born again, a substitute is needed. One who can substitute our death for his and his life for ours. One who could deal with our sin that leads us to death away from God and give us his spirit so that he would bring us forever into relationship in life with God. And this is exactly what Jesus has done. And as John continues to unpack this passage, he tells us why. He says that he's done it because God loves us. Because God is a God who loves us and does not want us to die separated from his life. But rather, he wants to give us eternal life. So look at our last point, eternal life, in John 3, 16 to 17. And there we read this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. How did God love the world? By sending Jesus. How much did God love the world? Enough to send Jesus. That God would be born as a baby to suffer and die for our salvation. So do you wonder this morning, I know we often wonder this, do you wonder if there really is a God in heaven who loves you? Do you ever struggle to believe that the God of the Bible loves and delights and cares for you? If you're like me and you struggle to believe that sometimes, look to Jesus. Look to him born in the manger. Look to him lifted high on the cross and be certain that God loves you. Enough to give you eternal life. And what is eternal life? Well, it's what it sounds like. It's life forever in relationship with God. And the logic works a little bit like what we were talking about before because if God is is life and we only die because we're separated from him, then when he gives us his spirit and draws us back into relationship with him, making us born again through the power of his spirit, then the opposite is true. Then we are now forever joined to God in his life. A life that is eternal and unstoppable. We've been transported from the highway going down to death to a new highway, one that is going to go up ascending forever in life, irresistibly upward in relationship with God. Because when we've been united with Jesus by his spirit in his life, like Jesus, even our physical death can't stop this life. 
And beyond our physical death lies a physical resurrection. Death can't stop eternal life. And one day we will live forever with God in a renewed world where all that is wrong is made right. Where every tear that comes from our eyes because the suffering of sin is wiped away forever by God himself as we live with Jesus face to face. So Christ City, think about this. Let's do a reversal in the way that we think about our lives here. Oftentimes, oftentimes hear this, oftentimes we think about this world as the land of the dying. Or sorry, the, sorry, the, the land of the living, I should say. Right? It's the land of the living. And, and, and we're going, when we imagine when we die, that we're going to the land of the dying, right? We're in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying. But if this is true, then that's not right. If you've trusted in Jesus, you are in the land of the dying, heading to the land of the living. The gospel message of the Bible isn't that God loves you to death. It's that he loves you to life. To life that's unstoppable, that no matter what you're facing this morning, God, your Savior, will not allow death to win. It can't win. So if you're suffering this morning, if you're struggling, look to Jesus in the manger. Look to Jesus on the cross. Look to all he's done to give you life. And listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? This is your promise in Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or any other kind of death? No, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, death can't win. Because in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you have trusted in Jesus this morning, this is your promise. God loves you. God is with you. God has indissolubly united himself to you in his life and his life will defeat all the darkness. Friends, when you look at Jesus this Christmas, I want you to think about this. God was born so you could be reborn. God was born so you could be reborn. My favorite illustration of of this is from a long time ago, a man named Athanasius. He talked about a painter 
a painter who, who made this beautiful portrait. But over time, the portrait became so marred and corrupted, you could hardly see what was there. It's just describing the way that our humanity was marred and corrupted in sin. So what's the painter going to do? And he loves that painting. It's one of his treasured possessions. He's not going to throw away the portrait. He loves the material. It was carefully chosen. So what does he do? He, he takes that portrait out. He puts it back up on the easel. And he invites the original subject of the painting to come and sit. So he can redraw humanity in the image of Jesus. So we could be recreated, not less human, but more and more and more human. I don't know what you think about following Jesus, but to follow Jesus is to become more human. It's to become more human on a path of upward life, become more and more yourself in all the ways that aren't even really about you but all the ways that are gloriously about the God of the universe who came to save you. As you worship him, as you live your life for the purpose that you were created for, as you serve him and follow him. So if you've not been born again this morning, I want to ask you, look at Jesus. I want you to consider the one who is sent so you could be saved. I want you to, to, to know that, that there is one Savior who has come so that humanity could be repainted, reformed in his image so we could have new birth in life. But there is only one Savior. And to turn away from Jesus is to turn away from life. I want to pray for you. Lord, I just ask that that by the power of your Holy Spirit working through your word, you would bring life. You've been doing it for millennia. We ask that you would do it again here. Lord, would you, for those of us that do know you, would you cause us to reflect and to think of the ways that maybe our life is not looking right now as it should as followers of Jesus. Would you draw us closer to you in repentance and in faith. For those that are discouraged, would you encourage us for the truth of how much you love us extravagantly and lavishly and how you're giving us life by the Spirit? Would you you cause this church to be a place where the light and the life of Jesus shines brilliantly into the darkness of the world around us? Empower us now by your Spirit to speak Jesus' name boldly and in the confidence that he is a savior you have sent, that everyone in our neighborhoods and in our buildings and the coffee shops we go to and the classes and the workplaces we're in needs to hear about. Would you empower us now in Jesus' name, amen.